As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is a Bloomberg Radio special. Black America confronts a credit crunch. I'm Shanali Basak. Though many black Americans have been celebrating Juneteenth for years, it's only been two since the U.S. finally declared it a federal holiday. While President Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation officially freed slaves in 1863, many areas in the South didn't follow through for some time. It was on Juneteenth, June 19, 1865, that Galveston, Texas, released the very last enslaved people in the country. But the day comes with a stark recognition. As far as we've come since slavery, we still have a ways to go for racial equity in the country for black Americans, particularly when it comes to wealth. A Brookings Institute report shows that in 2019, the median net worth of a typical white household was nearly eight times higher than that of a typical black household. One key factor driving the disparity is access to credit. Everything from business loans to securing a mortgage remains a challenge for many black families. A St. Louis Fed report from that same year found that black businesses were denied loans at much higher rates than their white counterparts. And today's economic landscape is no friendlier to black Americans. As recession fears and recent banking turmoil loom large, over the next hour, we'll take a closer look at the challenges black communities are facing as we see a broader pullback in lending. We're joined now by Cynthia Day. She's the president and CEO of Citizens Trust Bank, one of the very limited number of black-owned banks in the country, and Harold Butler, who leads the diverse financial institutions group at Wall Street giant Citigroup. Cynthia, let's start with you. What does Juneteenth mean to you? I first have to acknowledge the fact that we're talking about Juneteenth when a couple of years ago, there were millions of people in our country that didn't even know Juneteenth existed. So today it's becoming a national conversation and the recognition of the significance of Juneteenth, I think in itself is progress. For me personally, when I think of Juneteenth, I I think of a time to reflect and celebrate the American, African-American spirit, its resilience and the unsung contributions that have been made to the American society. It's also a time to look forward and recognize the deep impact and the cost uh, of, of this, you know, his, these historical events to the Black community. And it should continuously remind us uh, to continue to press forward and to press for economic parity and financial well-being in in African-American community. As we set up the conversation about parity here, maybe, Cynthia, you can kind of describe the role of Black-owned banks in Black communities. Our bank has been around for, you know, over 100 years. Our founding mission was to create parity. And the fact that our institutions are here, I think we've, we've seen this time and time during the Great Recession and the pandemic, where we get into credit-constrained areas and there's no access or people that understand the plight of these communities 
and won't, aren't as willing to extend credit for good reasons in economic down cycles. But it takes a bank or an African-American business that are that are in and of those communities. We saw this during the during the Great Recession. We saw it during the um, pandemic, whether it was through PPP or traditional credit. We were there. We saved businesses. We saved jobs. We saved home. We saved families. We saved communities. Now, Harold, over at Citigroup, you really spearheaded the program to work with minority depository institutions. And that signals to me that you saw early on the ripple effects from big bank to medium-sized bank to smaller bank across communities on uh, on the flow of capital. You know, why did you start this program and, you know, where does it stand today and what concerns do you have given that there are concerns about a credit crunch? You know, we began this journey you know, much before, you know, the world had its crises and or took part and witness uh, the murder of George Floyd. And, you know, for us as a firm post that, it was really about determining what could we do to help make things better, right? What role could city play at helping to achieve parity, as we just talked about, reducing the racial wealth gap, uh, things of that nature. When you look at communities that are underinvested and underrepresented, they all have a common theme. And that common theme is the lack of banking infrastructure. Cynthia, what about this moment in time? What does it feel like to run a bank today? Like many economic cycles that we've gone through, it just requires a lot of resilience. It can be very difficult. We have to make sure that we are strong and well-managed and well-focused and well-capitalized so we can help our customers. They needed us. They needed us during PPP. They needed us during the Great Recession. They need us. I think partnerships with uh, people like Citi uh, and other corporations, I think that united and collaborative front can help us create great, greater impact. It can help us close these wealth gaps. It, it can help us increase home ownership. It can help us create healthy ecosystem within um, the communities that we serve. And I think it will be beneficial to our country. Because I think if we if we take this 14% of this population, it can increase G- GDP. So I, I think this is not just an, a minority bank. It's not an underrepresented or uh, under uh, invested community. This is a, a national issue. Speaking of challenges, I think one major concern is a recession and what a recession would mean. What does it mean for all small business owners, let alone black small business owners, let alone black female small business owners? Another question that is embedded in that, too, is this decades long disparity, this widening gap between the wealth of black Americans and white Americans that has just expanded over time and what a recession would mean for that. Um, Does it create setbacks? What do you tell business owners, communities that might be worried that some of the progress might be challenged in the next year or so? You know, we just keep the conversation open with our customers. We are consistently talking to them. We had to talk to them during this recent bank failures. We have to keep reassuring them that, you know, we're here, we're, we, we're, we're with them. We are feeling some of the same impact and effects. We've been doing this for a hundred years. I keep repeating that. We understand um, these different, you know, cycles that we go through. It does continue to take that conversation, making sure we're there during those recessionary times. And I know that 
all of us are aware of that, that during recessions, historically, African-American communities have a deeper and more severe impact with higher business closures, higher job loss, higher unemployment, um, steep losses in home values. And more importantly, you know, the the lag in the recovery. Uh, We saw the same issues and trends during the pandemic uh, with, you know, people of color seeing disproportionately higher job and wage loss. So it's hard to provide that comfort. But what we can say is, you know, we were here with you during these times. Um, We don't have a crystal ball. We don't know where all this is going, but we do know one thing, we're still committed. We were here to help with those providing access to capital for businesses during those times. Um, But one thing we do know, we've been through this before. We're resilient, our customers are resilient, and we're gonna be there to help them um, through this time. Harold, the question for you, and, and I'd like Cynthia to weigh in on this too. I know over at Citigroup, you've done a lot of work with the US government. And if you think about the role the government plays, both in supporting large banks, let alone Black-owned banks, medium and small-sized banks, if you think about kind of the work they've done to kind of foster the growth of uh, minority depository institutions, where we know that the number has shrank over a a wide number of years, what can they and should be they what can they and should they be doing? You know, I think it's important for our government to continue to to focus as they are right on creating. Uh, programs, doing things that can uplift and support the need to change the narrative broadly. They're not easy. Um, and I don't think anybody is under the a delusion that it would be easy. These are tough things to sometimes, you know, have conversations about. But the important thing is that the government continues to do what it does and to lead these conversations, and to be a part of solutioning things that make sense for the space because then I, I think we get to a better place. I agree with what Harold has laid out there. And and I will say during the pandemic and during the bank failures, I think that the the swiftness with which the government moved and the, some of the programs they put in place was very helpful. And it really stopped us short of, of a catastrophic events, more catastrophic than what we had during the, the pandemic. One of the number one things on my list that I think would be helpful is to to let black banks and black businesses participate in a meaningful a meaningful way as vendor suppliers. There are trillions of dollars that flow within the governmental enterprises, and I think the suppliers should re- should reflect the diverse tapestry of the people they serve. And there are effective ways in which to accomplish this. I mean, we can encourage partnerships between minority suppliers, banks and other corporations like Citi. Um, this can be effective, it can be efficient, yet it, it provides for opportunities to grow minority businesses, to create jobs, it will increase home ownership, you can build generational wealth. It's something that we should be doing uh, and something I think that we should be committed to make it happen. Special thanks to Cynthia Day, President and CEO of Citizens Trust Bank, and Harold Butler, the head of the Diverse Financial Institutions Group at Citigroup for joining us. Ryan Williams founded Cadre in 2014 as a way for more investors to get access to commercial real estate markets. He grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and started investing in real estate while he went to college at Harvard University. When he was in his 20s, he went to almost a dozen banks for loans for investing in that real estate and was turned away by many. The bank willing to give him a loan? 
Citizens Trust Bank. That was a firm run by our last guest, Cynthia Day. For Ryan Williams, his relationship with Citizens Trust Bank set him on a path to eventually starting Cadre. Ryan, talk to us about how you're thinking about this Juneteenth. Juneteenth, to me, it's really a symbol of freedom. You know, it's the commemoration of the end of slavery in the U.S. It's deeply personal to me because I had family members who were uh, enslaved in Texas. And it's a reminder of the fact that there's still far too many Americans, uh, especially black Americans, that are are fighting for economic freedom and opportunity uh, and social freedom and opportunity. For me, it's really about how can I use my platform Uh, my network to create greater financial opportunity, whether that's democratizing access to alternatives like we're doing at Cadre, or whether it's helping advocate for both private and public action to close the racial wealth gap. When you think about kind of getting through this credit crunch and the fact that people are worried about small banks in general, but the Black-owned banks in America have been under pressure for decades. How do Black-owned banks and Black communities that rely on Black-owned banks really see through this credit crunch? Yes, I mean, I I believe it's a combination of public and private partnership. You know, I believe that there needs to be proactive action taken by the government, um, whether that's helping incentivize private investment into many of the banks to help further capitalize these banks to ensure that they can continue to lend to their communities, um, or whether that's entrepreneurs and, and companies Uh, taking action to intentionally funnel capital to many of these banks that have been the bedrock for their community. Uh, It's ultimately about the flow of capital, and it's ultimately about incentivizing those in in the private sector and those in the public sector to do more to accelerate uh, that flow of capital um, into these banks and communities. Maybe talk a little bit about what those solutions could look like, because you're one of the people that has worked with other entrepreneurs and that has worked with large financial institutions to get the ball rolling. One of the, the most encouraging solutions that I've, I've seen was um, the way J.P. Morgan stepped up uh, to help infuse capital and to challenge banks over the past uh, really three to four months and created effectively a syndicate. Now, um, it didn't ultimately have the, the result of stabilizing you know, First Republic in this case, uh, but it did show that uh, this collective action, when banks come together uh, or financial institutions come together to invest in, and those that are struggling uh, can ultimately lead to a result in more opportunity. I'm glad you mentioned the biggest banks here, too. I'm glad you mentioned J.P. Morgan. We're also talking to Goldman and Citigroup and different banks who are looking to work to finance black entrepreneurs. Talk a little bit more about the role of the financial system, especially because in this year, we're watching the biggest banks get bigger, which means the eyes are really on them to make change. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I think the divide and delta between the haves and have-nots uh, is um, uh, is increasing faster than it has in recent memory. One of the best approaches here is you know, largest banks thinking about ways to create uh, syndicates, partnerships, and investments that elevate uh, banks that maybe aren't directly competitive with them but have specialized focus on communities that they're not reaching or can't reach um, or that offer certain uh, you know loans to uh, or certain types of companies rather that otherwise, uh, would not be capitalized. Um, and so um, I really think that the American ingenuity, you know, some of the unique elements of each region of our country uh, are financed by many of these regional community-oriented banks. And without 
government uh, or a larger bank action, uh, I think you're bound to see many ultimately fail or lose, um, you know, market position. When you think about the involvement of larger banks into the minority depository institutions, black owned banks and black owned businesses, for that matter, with all the commitments that have been made over the last couple of years, how do you feel about the pace of progress now? Yeah, it was it was incredibly encouraging to see, you know, so many institutions and corporations discuss, you know, how important they felt it was to uh, ensure there's greater economic justice and opportunity, um, you know, commit to various organizations that are focused on on creating more economic opportunity and, and access. Um, by and large, I think it's been pretty discouraging and disappointing uh, that a lot of those commitments and a lot of those uh, statements have not been met with any kind of accountability. There's been no progress report of note that I've seen that analyzed whether these commitments are being met. Uh, and so I think this Juneteenth is actually an incredible opportunity uh, for many of these corporations to look inwards, uh, to hold themselves accountable for the commitments that they made in the immediate aftermath of, of Juneteenth. Um, and, uh, you know, to also ensure that at a time when, you know, things like diversity um, or your inclusion on a lot of different dimensions can be overlooked for, you know, solving the most pressing business issues, uh, that um, these, those commitments, you know, don't get completely washed out. Let's also talk about the fact that you're an entrepreneur. You're an entrepreneur who looked to black-owned banks to help get financing as you really got off the ground. We've talked about this a couple of times before. Tell us a little bit about the role they played and, and why they were so important relative to the big banks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it goes back to pattern matching and pattern recognition, number one, and then being nimble. I think those are two uh, unique attributes to community-oriented banks, Um and and uh, and MDIs as well. They're more agile. They're able to uh, move faster. And um, and then you know they have a different quote unquote risk box than many of the larger banks. Um, they're able to really understand the nuances behind uh, why certain um, local businesses may succeed in certain areas and and why they may not. And as a result, they're able to help propel and prop up many local businesses that would not get the, the time of day from larger uh, banks. And so, um, you know, for me personally, uh, I, I was turned down by more than 10 banks, uh, you know, to um, finance the acquisition of an apartment complex in the Atlanta metro area. Um, I had incredible credit behind me. I had multiple uh, ultra high net worth investors who were willing to stand behind the guarantee. But when uh, I spoke to some of the larger banks and they saw that I was um, you know, relatively young, African-American, um, and, uh, you know, relatively new in my career, you know, I, was, I was shut down before I even had a chance to start to get a loan. Now, one bank, Citizens Trust Bank, who we actually work with now today, Black-owned bank started in the 1920s um, that focuses and serves Atlanta and other markets in the, in the Southeast. Um, you know, they saw something different. They knew, you know, the, uh, the, the region, the area that I was investing in they knew that um, there weren't a lot of people who looked like me who were buying apartment buildings in that area, and they understood my business plan and said, you know what, we're, we're going to give um, this young man the benefit of the doubt. We're going to lend to him. We're going to think about building a long-term relationship with him. We think that the way that he's investing in the community will actually not just elevate his investors, but actually the community itself. And, um, you know, we're going to look at the opportunities versus the risks 
and uh, and Lint as a result. And if it weren't for that bank, I probably would not be where I am today. You know, founder and CEO of Cadre, um, because you know that acquisition ultimately ended up in generating significant returns for my investors, and that put me on the path to saying, okay, how can I you know democratize access to this kind of institutional real estate today? Um, because it created a, a track record for me. Our thanks to Ryan Williams, founder and CEO of Cadre, for joining us on today's program. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to a Bloomberg Radio special. Black America confronts a credit crunch. I'm Shanali Basak. Today, we're looking at how black communities are faring as economic uncertainty is leading banks to pull back on lending. It's a situation that often has an outsized impact on black Americans. Asahi Pompey is one of the most senior black women on Wall Street. She's on the management committee at Goldman Sachs and is head of corporate engagement. She's also president of the Goldman Sachs Foundation. She leads initiatives like 10,000 Small Businesses, which support smaller business owners through education, finding fresh capital, and more. She also helped Goldman launch 1 Million Black Women in 2021, an initiative that pledges $10 billion in investments and $100 billion in philanthropic funds to address racial and gender bias across businesses. Black executives from across the country, including Walgreens CEO Rosalind Brewer and political powerhouses Valerie Jarrett and Condoleezza Rice, are among the program's advisors. I was wondering if we could start just kind of big picture when you think about Juneteenth, you know, how do you think about it from your stance at Goldman Sachs and how do you talk to your colleagues about it? You know, as we think about um, Juneteenth, we really, um, you know, think about how black Americans are faring in this country um, overall uh, from an economic perspective, what's happening on the social front. And in particular, because we're an investment bank, for us, the focus is really on black small businesses and how they're faring. I would describe this Juneteenth as a really jittery Juneteenth for um, black small businesses and small businesses of color. And that's as a result of a number uh, of factors that I'm happy to go into. Yeah, let's get into that a little more deeply here. Obviously, there are worries about a recession, but there's also worries about what a credit crunch might be, given so many smaller banks have started to face so many troubles. What are the biggest concerns you're seeing? You know, we're seeing a number of things, Shanali. It, you know, on a good day, it's challenging for black businesses to get funding. And this year, that gets amplified. And so they are really worried about the credit crunch. It's frustrating uh, their ability to be able to access uh, access capital. And it's a very uncertain time for um, small businesses of, of color, and in particular, back small businesses. 
since the um, dawn of the pandemic, um, the last three years, Goldman Sachs has conducted over 17 surveys of small businesses to really keep a pulse on what's happening. And here's what we're seeing. Dial back a year ago, when we surveyed small businesses and said, how do you feel about uh, the economy more generally, and in particular, your ability to access capital? We found that 77% of them were confident in their ability to access capital. Today, 77% of those businesses are now concerned about their ability to access capital. So they went from confident 12 months ago to concerned right now. And that's really manifested in terms of what they're experiencing. They're experiencing a higher loan rejection. They're being asked for more data than they were ever asked uh, for before, um, more scrutiny on their projections. Um, things are taking longer, prolonged borrowing uh, uh, approvals for their borrowing, things that would take three months, are now taking upwards of seven months to get approved. So how much of this is because of the strains that small banks are feeling in the United States and that extension to Black-owned banks, which are smaller than America's top five, for example? You've really put your finger on it. Small businesses rely on small banks. And we know that you know, they received almost 70% of their commercial loans from banks with less than $250 billion in assets and 30% from banks with less than $10 billion in assets. So when small banks have, small, have problems, small businesses have uh, problems as well. Uh, in particular, you know, things like, you know, your, do you have a pre-existing relationship with the bank? What's your, your geographic uh, proximity to the bank? All of those are important factors as it relates to a small business's ability to be able to access capital. And all of that gets exacerbated when you think about it uh, for black small businesses. And I want to be clear about this, too, because when we saw the bank failures in the United States, it's not the black-owned banks that necessarily faced the same troubles. But with that said, you do have the sense that financial conditions are tightening and credit is contracting. What does that mean for Black-owned businesses in particular, Black-owned banks in this kind of a cycle? I think there's a worry here that some of the disparities that we have seen into the run-up, into the run-up into COVID, for example, might be exacerbated if we were to face a recession ahead. I would definitely agree with that. Look, I would say the same conditions that can cause a small business to shiver will cause a black small business to freeze because they don't have the same safety net uh, and, frankly, the same capital. And I'm talking about the social capital that we know is a part of being able to access actual capital for, uh, for their business. We know that black small businesses tend to be are more likely to be denied for a loan. They tend to get less favorable uh, loan terms, even when controlling for credit worthiness. Um, they tend to get higher interest rates and stricter, uh, stricter requirements. And so all of those uh, issues are creating significant concerns for what I'm calling a jittery Juneteenth for black small businesses. But there's a reason also that you're leading this 10,000 small businesses program as well as one million black women. Where is the overlap? As we think about um, the closing the racial wealth gap, we published a report called Black Womenomics. 
And we found a number of things. In particular, uh, it talks about the multiple things that are at issue when you think about black people's ability to create intergenerational wealth, whether it's education, whether it's access to capital, whether it's health care, um, whether it's uh, jobs and workforce. And as Goldman Sachs thought about, where can we step in and really change the tide? And in particular, entrepreneurship and our focus on entrepreneurship has been that area. I'll share with you a couple of stats. Um, over 97% of black small businesses are solopreneurs. And that means it's a single person or maybe a part-time person working in that business. Now, black people, black women in particular, are starting small businesses faster than any other demographic in this country. However, after three years, what we're finding is that the majority of those businesses have failed. And in particular, these women who started off with such enthusiasm and such commitment are actually in a worse position than if they hadn't started the business to begin with. Now, a lot of people, Shanali, would see this as a problem. Goldman Sachs saw this as an opportunity. And two years ago, we launched 1 million black women, black in business, with the specific goal of working with black women solopreneurs to do a number of things, to grow their revenue, to move them beyond being solopreneurs, to employing um, individuals in their community, because we know black small businesses employ uh, black people in their community, and to really be able to start to create intergenerational wealth. And so we just had uh, about 300 of them here at Goldman Sachs headquarters a couple of weeks ago, and that's a, a part of our business that we've been doubling down on. Now, I want to go back to a term you've used a couple of times, jittery Juneteenth. You know, that's a really tough reality when you're thinking about all of the challenges that people are facing in the economy right now. What do the next six to 12 months look like, given some of the big problems that we're seeing in the economy? And is there a risk that some of the strides that corporations, that the economy has made with trying to close the racial wealth gap, is there a risk that some of that is unwound? Look, I think there's definitely a risk. I, I would I would love to paint a rosy picture for the next six to twelve to, uh, months in the U.S. economy, but there are a number of headwinds. One, we've got high interest rates. We've seen the Fed hike interest rates ten times since March of last year. Secondly, we inflation persists. It's stubborn. Um, and it's continuing to be high. We see 71% uh, of our small business owners saying that inflationary pressures have increased in the last three months. The third thing we're seeing is workforce challenges. 78% of small businesses say they're having trouble finding qualified applicants for their open position. And fourthly, we've still got supply chain issues that, that are problematic. Now, is there some relief around the debt, debt ceiling? Uh, absolutely, we're seeing that in our small business community. But when you've got high interest rates, high inflation, workforce shortages, supply chain issues, uh, a credit crunch, it's hard to be um, you know, optimistic in that environment, except I would say this. I would bet any day on the resilience and the tenacity of our small business community um, and our, our black uh, small businesses. I would bet on them any day. That's Asahi Pompey, Global Head of Corporate Engagement at Goldman Sachs and President of the Goldman Sachs Foundation. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. 
Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is a Bloomberg Radio special. Black America confronts a credit crunch. I'm Shanali Basak. Juneteenth marks an important day for Black Americans, but it's also a reminder that there's still a long road ahead to achieving parity. And as shown by our conversations across the financial industry, economic parity in particular can't be achieved without doubling down on efforts, some of which have only emerged in the last couple of years. So how can the country keep pushing forward? Let's get closing thoughts from each of our guests. Asahi Pompey at Goldman Sachs, Ryan Williams at Cadre, Cynthia Day at Citizens Trust, and Harold Butler at Citigroup. You know, I think it's about recommitting every day because uh, systemic issues need sustained focus. And I think the critique has been, um, you know, people being episodic or headline chasing. And I think what's particularly important is that commitment on a daily basis to who are you hiring? Who are you extending credit to? And so we see that the impact of slavery and discrimination persists in this country. And I think Juneteenth, while it's an important day to recognize that and to talk about it, it's about the daily commitments, about all the days that are not Juneteenth. Um, And what are we all doing then to hold ourselves accountable um, to really making advances? Heavy is definitely one one way to think about this period of you know, recollection in Juneteenth. Um, you know, the, the word that you know, I associate sort of with this this current context and environment uh, is opportunity. And, um, yeah, and I think of opportunity from the perspective of there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of challenges. There's so many open questions um, about, you know, where the economy's going, about where certain businesses are going. And there needs to be a lot more answers. And with those answers, you know, there will be opportunity to build enduring businesses. Um, there will be opportunity to reimagine, you know, how we actually uh, finance um, and capitalize businesses that are backed by diverse entrepreneurs. There's going to be an opportunity, and there is opportunity to reimagine, you know, how we support banks um, that are going to be disproportionately overlooked uh, as we work through this period of turbulence in our market. I think we have to be intentional. I think we have to be committed. And I don't think this is segmented into just minority underrepresented communities. I think this is a collaborative effort um, for our whole country um, that we need to continue to focus on, you know, access to capital that creates jobs. We need to ensure that our leadership and our management inside of our board of directors and our companies and in our government are reflective of um, diversity and thought and ethnicity of our customers. It's very important that we not make this a moment in time, right? Much of what and how we've been focused here at the bank and doing the things that we're doing, the commitment of the diverse financial institutions group by, you know, Jane Frazier and Mark Mason was a game changer for us in many ways. And we've learned that 
it not only matters to the space, right, to our industry peers, to the banks like uh, Cynthia's firm, but to our employees uh, themselves. And so, you know, it goes a long way to helping us to indeed change the narrative and through very deliberate and purposeful focus. And the last part of that, you know, and I say this all the time, we need to keep telling the story, right? Asking the questions. If questions are asked and it makes people uncomfortable, it's probably the right question. We want to continue this conversation of of, of how these recessions are impacting these communities. You don't have to go look at a study. You can come talk to me and I can tell you um, what I've seen firsthand, but I also can tell you the successes that come out because we keep doing what we do. Some closing thoughts to remember on this Juneteenth holiday. Our thanks to Asahi Pompey, Ryan Williams, Cynthia Day, and Harold Butler for joining us on today's program. You've been listening to a Bloomberg Radio special, Black America Confronts a Credit Crunch. If you missed any part of our program, you can listen back to the podcast anytime. It's available on today's Bloomberg Business Week and Bloomberg Surveillance Feeds. Subscribe anytime on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. I'm Shanali Basic, and this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.